Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Our show is about to begin. Little did they know it, but George Lucas and John Williams were laying the foundation for a musical empire. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and today we're picking right back up with the music to Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, from 1977, written and directed by George Lucas, with a musical score by John Williams. Last time we discussed Luke's theme quite a bit, or the main title as it's come to be known, as well as a theme for Obi-Wan Kenobi, or the Force theme, as that's come to be known, as well as a theme for Princess Leia. We talked about their various usages throughout the film and how they served as a shorthand for who these characters are and for their roles in the overall story. We have a lot more to talk about today, but I want to talk about the main title one last time. You see, George Lucas and John Williams played an interesting trick on 1977 audiences. They gave us the 20th Century Fox fanfare which was not being widely used anymore at that time. That was followed by a moment of silence and then by a big blast of music. We have to talk about this moment. So to review, the score to Star Wars was old-fashioned music made new again, bigger, brighter, and cooler than 77 audiences would have considered it when walking into the theater. George Lucas knew this, 
and he used the power of film, film editing, and sound to subvert or overtake audience expectations immediately. Let's start with the fanfare. The 20th Century Fox fanfare, 20th Century Fox was the studio that was funding the film and distributing it. Its fanfare for its logo was composed in 1933 by Alfred Newman, longtime head of Fox's music department from 1940 to 1960. In 1953, an extended version was created for CinemaScope Films and debuted on the film How to Marry a Millionaire. This extended version is what we hear in Star Wars. In the mid to late 1970s, the 20th Century Fox logo had all but been phased out. However, Lucas really liked the logo, and he really liked Alfred Newman's music. So much so that he insisted it be used for his Star Wars film. But what's interesting about the 20th Century Fox fanfare used in Star Wars is that they opted to use a vintage recording of it. So when you hear it at the top of this movie, it sounds noticeably low fidelity, grainy, old. Certainly, 1977 moviegoers had sat through such a recording on many films many times before. This lulls the audience into a false sense of normal expectation, a perfect setup for what was going to happen next. The 20th Century Fox logo and plain green font against a black screen simply said Lucasfilm LTD for Lucasfilm Limited. Then everything went black and eerily quiet. From there, a completely silent message faded in on the screen in blue letters, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. With barely a moment to let the strangeness of that sentence sink in, audiences were suddenly hit with a very high-fidelity, very loud, brassy chord like a giant explosion on the screen. Bam! The contrast of this moment, from the vintage logo to the silence to this new music, sends a very clear message. This is not your parents' or grandparents' movie. This is not a movie from yesteryear. While it's using a romantic film score, this is new. It's modern. It's updated. The latest and greatest thing you will ever see this is a moment that's very calculated by both Lucas and the composer, John Williams. Williams even went as far as to write the main title in the same key as the 20th century fanfare. It's in the key of B-flat major. Just so they would feel like the same piece. Just a continuous musical idea. Now, I think I've now played the, uh, the main title piece several times on the soundtrack show. Well, for good measure, we're going to hear it just a little bit more. But not how you think. In 1997, RCA Victor released a two-disc special edition soundtrack for Star Wars to celebrate both the 20th anniversary of the movie as well as the arrival of the Star Wars special edition in theaters that January, which featured new visual effects 
and previously unreleased scenes edited back in. Now, there's an Easter egg on that soundtrack, which reveals something really special. You hear multiple takes of the main title recorded on the afternoon of the very first day, March 5th, 1977. During this recording, listen for the opening note of the main title. It changes. It's as if you're listening to them trying to figure out how the theme should start. Let's take a listen. Here's take 16 from that day. Take 16. Huh. Interesting. It doesn't quite just start with that bam. Here's take 17 from that day. Take 17. different. Here's take 18. <clears throat> Here's take 19. 19. Listen to all those subtle changes as they're slowly evolving from take to take. It's like they're figuring it out. You know, it's easy to forget that Lucas, Williams, and crew, they didn't have a clear understanding like we do now with 40 years of hindsight of what this was or what it was going to be at the time they were recording this. You can hear them figuring it out that day in the studio. It's easy for us to take for granted on the back end. I mean, we've been obsessing over this for 40 years. But back then, they were creating something brand new. Speaking of creating something new versus years of history, I would like to ask you a question. If you were to hum the theme to Darth Vader in your head right now, how would it go? Outside of a select few of you, I would guess that probably 9 out of 10 of you would immediately think of the following melody. Is that the theme you were thinking of? It's an amazing theme, isn't it? It's a classic. It's so iconic. And it's so not in this movie at all. That's right. That piece, which I just played, is called the Imperial March. And it's not in Star Wars. That is, not until it debuted in its sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, three years later in 1980. Oh, it's amazing what our memory does to us, isn't it? Well, now I have to ask a follow-up question. How was Darth Vader and the Empire portrayed in Star Wars from 1977, the movie that kicked it all off? If that wasn't in it, I mean, this was the movie that made Vader famous, the movie that started it all. How was he musically portrayed by John Williams? Well, he was given just a very short piece of thematic material, and along with the Death Star, some ominous chords to tell us right away that he's the villain. The piece that identified Vader in 1977 went like this. 
That's right, pretty simple. Or you could say like this. It's all minor chords, moving through minor intervals, giving it what musicians call a diminished type of sound. Here's what John Williams had to say about it in the original liner notes to the 1977 soundtrack double vinyl album. Vader's theme is a lot of bassoons and muted trombones and low things, since he is the bad side of the force, end quote. Here it is right here. Let's take a listen to it in context. As Vader is talking to his subordinates at the beginning of the movie, moments after Leia's ship has been overrun. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not still for this. When they hear you've attacked a diplomatic... Don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Several transmissions were beamed to the ship by rebel spies. I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away! Holding her is dangerous. Word of this gets out, it could generate sympathy for the rebellion in the Senate. I have traced the rebel spies to her. Now she is my only link to finding their secret base. Very simple, but very melodramatic. Not complex, not long anyway, but can be played in several different ways. For example, here's Vader's theme again, only this time it's as action music. The action music that accompanies the opening gun battle in the hallway of Leia's ship. And when Vader first steps aboard, as the smoke is clearing, we're given a series of chords that immediately tell us, along with his ominous breathing and evil-masked wardrobe, that this is the villain. So that's pretty much the extent of our dark side music in the original film. 
Now that I've pointed it out, you'll hear it quite a few times, especially when you see stormtroopers, uh, Vader here and there. Uh, if you go and watch the film again, you'll hear it everywhere in this movie. So yeah, that's the dark side, represented musically in A New Hope. And until 2016, this early Darth Vader theme music was only in that one first film. I mean, after the Imperial March was written, it totally took over this theme, it superseded it. Until composer Michael Giacchino brought it back for this movie's moment before prequel, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, like I said in 2016. But we'll get to that movie much later. So now, I want to talk about the planet Tatooine. Let's talk about it, shall we? We've already heard some temp music for the Dune Sea of Tatooine, home of the Jawas, but we haven't actually talked about the Jawas, or Jawas, themselves. Let's take a listen to William's music for the Jawas. I love this piece. It's mischievous, it's playful, it's slightly mysterious. Let's take a listen to another piece from Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. This is a different cut from the second half of that piece. It's close, and I'm kind of speculating that that's where uh, the influence for this came from. But Williams shows a much less serious side here than what we just heard in Stravinsky. And in a way, Williams' jazz roots are showing a little bit here with his musical arrangements. This is kind of interesting. I did a little digging. Um, and you may not know this, but a young Johnny Williams had gained quite a reputation in the 50s and 60s as an arranger, a big band arranger, and a pianist. At one point, he even put out an album. Johnny Williams and his orchestra, Rhythm in Motion, featuring stereophonic sound. It's actually a great sounding album. Anyway, as I was listening to it, I heard an arrangement of a song called Surrey with a Fringe on Top, which is from the musical Oklahoma. But I want you to listen to how John Williams takes this tune and orchestrates it for his jazz ensemble. Listen to how he voices the trombones here at the very beginning. Huh. Now listen to how he treats them in Star Wars in the Jawas theme. And again, Surrey. And now back to the Jawas. So in Star Wars here with the Jawas on Tatooine, Williams is showing us his playful side here. Upon first meeting them, the Jawas are shrouded in mystery. In fact, 
When R2's going through the canyon alone in Tatooine, we don't hear any music. Just little sounds here and there. Whispers and some slight movement. Followed by a jump scare when they finally jump out and shoot him. But no music. Then, after they're revealed to be curious small scavengers, that more playful character emerges. And that's not where William's playful side ends in Star Wars. And now for a brief intermission. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We return now to the soundtrack show. Here is where we come to one of the most famous scenes in the first film, the Mos Eisley Cantina. Hey, we don't serve their kind here. What? Your droids. They'll have to wait outside. We don't want them here. Let's way out by the speeder. We don't want any trouble. I heartily agree with you, sir. This scene takes us from a small desert planet, where we haven't seen much, to a cantina filled with aliens from dozens of different worlds, a crossroads at the Mos Eisley spaceport, with creatures from every corner of the galaxy. And this jazzy, wild music plays from a band of exotic-looking aliens. Of course, they were later named Figur and Don and the Modal Nodes, but this is before we knew all of that. This is what music from a galaxy far, far away sounded like in an alien bar. This is our first listen to diegetic, or source, music in Star Wars. Music that the characters are also hearing. Music that is real to that galaxy. Here's a quote from the original soundtrack album, Liner Notes. This is John Williams talking. Quote, George found a record that he liked. He used it for a temp track, and he shot to that, which gave him a rhythmic continuity shot to shot, cut to cut. What he said to me was, can you imagine these creatures in some future century having found in a time capsule or under a rock an old 1930s Benny Goodman swing band record? Can you imagine what their distorted idea of how to play it would be? So that's more or less what I tried to do. And I think it looks pretty cute with the monsters you know. End quote. Here's a quote from Jonathan Rinsler's 2007 book, The Making of Star Wars. This is editor Richard Chu talking. Quote, George was having a lot of fun. 
he would bring in a record whenever he got back from L.A. He would have a new idea for the temp track, which was the best way for him to convey to Johnny Williams what he wanted. But I didn't know which way he wanted to go with the music at first. The first time we talked about it was when I was editing that cantina sequence. So I said to him, Hey, George, have you ever heard Tibetan music? Because I think the chanting and the animal bone instruments might really be appropriate. And he said, No, I'm going to use Benny Goodman. And I went, What? And he said, Yeah, they're going to play swing, man. End quote. Robert Lopez, co-songwriter for movie musicals like Frozen, Coco, and several Broadway musicals, found a piece of Benny Goodman music that sounds the most like it could have served as the temp for the Cantina track. Let's take a listen. Let's hear the normal cantina band. sounds pretty close to me. Also, another detail. It's important to notice that this track in the movie is, quote, worldized, or made to sound as if it's coming from the actual space, from the world. So let's check out the track as it exists, without any effects on it. Okay, now let's take a listen as if it's coming from inside of a club. I'll put a little effect on it. Or I can try a different effect. How about like it's coming from next door? Or coming from over a radio. These are the tricks that are done in post-production to convince us that these recordings are coming from inside of the world, even though they were actually recorded at a high fidelity in a recording studio environment. One last note on the cantina music. It's used as a wonderful gag at one point in the film. When Obi-Wan defends Luke from an alien who pulls a blaster and threatens to shoot, and he pulls his lightsaber out and cuts his arm off, the music stops, violence erupts, and once it's over, the patrons in the cantina go back to their normal routine, as if that level of violence is a daily occurrence. And what makes the gag funny is that the music resumes as if it's just business as usual. 
The visual that accompanies this is a humanoid alien smoking a pipe, returning his attention back to the bar in front of him. Uh, a lizard-like alien does the same, as if it were just no big deal. The role that the music plays in this gag is one of comedy. Let's listen. <laughs> He doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead! This little one's not worth the effort. Come, let me get you some. I call it that record scratch moment. The whole bar's attention is momentarily on Obi-Wan. But after a few seconds, the rough and tough bar crowd is unimpressed. It's the music, or lack thereof, that sells this to us without saying a word. There is a second piece of cantina music that plays, as if the band is playing a full set throughout the afternoon. And it goes like this. Those two pieces represent the only non-orchestral music in this first film. While we're on the subject of how the lack of music in certain areas can be very effective, I want to point out a couple of spots in the film that are notoriously without music. The first is from another famous scene, the trash compactor. After a loud, big rescue from the cell block, our three main characters, Han, Luke, and Leia, find themselves swimming in garbage. It's kind of funny that they end up in there. Their glamorous, heroic escape of the princess isn't so heroic after all. But as they deal with a water creature lurking underneath the surface that sucks Luke down and threatens to drown him, followed by the walls closing in as the compactor begins to compact, we hear no music. It isn't until we cut back to the droids hiding in a closet that music sneaks back in and then plays throughout the rest of the scene until the crew is rescued. Let's hear a little bit of this. Garbage shooting is a really wonderful idea. What an incredible smell you've discovered. Uh, get out of here. Get away from there. No music throughout any of this. Shit! Luke! 
Luke goes down into the water, and we're left with just the sound of sewage. in, Ben Burt's sound design is what's driving the scene. Help, Rebio! Come in, Rebio! And here comes the music on the shot of the comlink. Take over. See to him. Look, there. Another interesting thing to note is that there was a rule in this movie when it came to lightsabers. One that is pretty closely followed in this film, up until a certain point. The lightsabers were considered to be very musical in nature, very tonal. So, for the most part, if there was a lightsaber on screen, there was no music. Not for the first appearance of a lightsaber. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon. For a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Not for the lightsaber that Luke has when he's training with the remote on the Falcon. Stretch out with your feelings. You see? You can do it. I call it luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Look, good against remotes is one thing. Good against the living, it's something else. Looks like we're coming up on Alderaan. And not for the battle between Vader and Obi-Wan. At least not until the end, when Obi-Wan decides to sacrifice himself. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Also, after the famous TIE fighter attack where we hear the rebel fanfare over and over again, we enter a long period of no music, as our heroes finally return Princess Leia to the Rebel Alliance on the fourth moon of Yavin, a jungle planet. And that no music period lasts all the way up until the X-Wings begin taking off and heading towards a Death Star for the movie's final confrontation. From about an hour 36 minutes in the film until one hour 45 minutes, a good nine straight minutes without music in the film. That's it! We did it! We did it! <gasps> Help! I think I'm melting. This is all your fault. <laughs> Are they away? They've just made the jump into hyperspace. 
You're sure the homing beacon is secure aboard their ship? I'm taking an awful risk, Vader. This had better work. Not a bad bit of rescuing, huh? You know, sometimes I amaze even myself. That doesn't sound too hard. They let us go. It's the only explanation for the ease of our escape. Easy? You call that easy? They're tracking us. You're safe. When we heard about Alderaan, we feared the worst. We have no time for Asara's commander. You must use the information in this R2 unit to help plan the attack. An analysis of the plans provided by Princess Leia has demonstrated a weakness in the battle station. They could use a good pilot like you. You're turning your back on them. What good's a reward if you ain't around to use it? Besides, attacking that battle station ain't my idea of courage. It's more like suicide. All right. Well, take care of yourself, Han. But I guess that's what you're best at, isn't it? Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. It's almost as if we're being given a much-needed breather in this no-music section. To conserve our strength, we'll need it for the final battle. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. Before I close, I want to read an email from one of our listeners. This comes from Lauren, who writes, Hi, David. I wanted to share a story with you that relates to your episodes on the soundtrack for Jaws. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of seeing John Williams conduct the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. The program was curated by John Williams, and he conducted the second half of the performance. I have grown up loving John Williams and his music. When I was about nine years old, my dad bought the album Summon the Heroes for me. The Summer Olympics had been going on that year, and I had been hearing these themes played on my television and fell in love. I remember putting the CD into our stereo system and then lying on the couch and listening to the entire thing. My dad told me that not only had John Williams written these Olympic themes, but he also wrote the music for Star Wars, a big favorite in our household, and also E.T., Jurassic Park, and so much more. Wow, I was so impressed. I even took my Summon the Hero CD to school to show my classmates during our music class. The CD came with an insert that had a picture of John Williams. I felt so cool standing in front of the classroom showing it to all my classmates. Now, over 20 years later, I was finally able to see John Williams in concert. Every time he introduced the next piece, it was almost like he was talking directly to me, like we were in his living room having a conversation about his life. My seat was pretty close to the front, but I truly believe I would have felt that way no matter where I had been sitting. He just had that effect whenever he spoke. One of the pieces they played was Out to Sea slash The Shark Cage Fugue from Jaws. I saw Jaws as a young child, maybe seven or eight years old. I don't know if I was actually watching the movie or if my parents were watching it and I just happened to be walking through and saw parts of it. To this day, I cannot listen to the main theme from Jaws because of the terror it evokes. Just another testament to the power of John Williams' score. I've never listened to the Jaws soundtrack because of how terrified I am of the main theme. So the first time I ever heard this piece, Out to Sea slash Shark Cage Fugue, was that night at the concert when John Williams conducted the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. That piece of music is one of the most delightful pieces of music I have ever heard, at least at the beginning. It is completely different from the terror-evoking main theme or shark theme for which the movie is best known. About a week after that concert, I listened to your episodes on Jaws, 
and now I want to watch the movie as an adult. It was interesting to hear on your episodes the same things that John Williams said to us as he introduced the piece they played at the concert. Mainly how Steven Spielberg thought John Williams was joking the first time he played the shark theme for him on his piano. He said that the cellos and string basses helped him convince Spielberg. I've always loved music. As the years have gone by, I've come to love not only everything John Williams has written, but all soundtrack music. Howard Shore, James Newton Howard, John Powell, James Horner, Michael Giacchino, Rachel Portman, Alan Silvestri, Danny Elfman, and Jerry Goldsmith are just a few of my favorites. Just a few. Because of this, I listen to a lot of soundtrack music. My daughter, who is now three, loves soundtrack music almost as much as I do. Whenever we get into the car, she will ask, Can we listen to Star Wars? And of course, I gladly say, yes. I've even overheard her humming the main theme to Star Wars when she is looking at her Star Wars books. I feel like I'm doing at least one thing right in this whole parenting adventure. I do not consider myself a musician, though I did take several years of piano growing up and I played percussion in my high school and college bands. I love music, but it's just not my gift, even though I tried really hard to make it my gift. It has been fun learning new terms and more music history as it relates to soundtracks on your show. I'm amazed at the talent and creativity that these composers have, and I am so glad that they have shared and continue to share their gift with the rest of us through these beautiful soundtracks. I've shared it with pretty much everyone I know. Everyone should listen to this podcast. Oh, that would be great. Thank you for all the work you put into this show. Sincerely, Lauren. Thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate you writing. And yeah, you know, I started with Jaws for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, And because of its importance to the conversation we're having about Star Wars right now, I feel like historically those two scores are so linked and there just wouldn't be one without the other. So I'm glad that you got something out of those episodes, and I'm glad you enjoyed John Williams in concert. For anyone listening, I love hearing from you. You can write us at the Soundtrack Show at HowStuffWorks.com, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundtrack Show HSW, or on Twitter at Soundtrack HSW. I'm also on Twitter at David W. Collins, and would love to chat about it with you there. On the next episode, we'll discuss deleted or alternate cues Take another look at Dies Irae, the end battle, the sand people, plus anything else we might have missed. I'll also share a breakdown of all of these themes by the numbers, counting up how often they appear and when via my Star Wars Episode Four theme tracker. After that, I plan on closing Star Wars with a two-part musical film commentary that you'll be able to sync to the film and listen to as we discuss all things Star Wars music. Thank you.